Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is the most troubling thing going on in your life right now? What is it that occupies your thoughts during the day and keeps you awake at night? For some, it may not be obvious to those sitting next to you. Maybe troubles at work, stress over how to make ends meet, or any number of other things. For some of you, it may be a trouble that is quite obvious to those around you, whether that's a health issue, a family member who is sick or dying, etc. In our text this morning, the man's issues were quite prevalent to those around him. I want you to transport yourself back 2,000 years and put yourself in that house with the man. There you are, shoulder to shoulder with those next to you, packed in like sardines. Jesus is in the midst of them. Everyone's grasping at him, trying to touch just the fringes of his garment in order that they may be healed. They're lifting their kids over their heads just so they could be healed of their maladies, and get a little bit closer to our Lord. And then all of a sudden, poof, there goes the roof. We're told in Mark and Luke's account of this passage that four men wanted to bring their paralytic friend to be healed by Jesus, but since it was so packed, they instead went on the roof, tore a hole in it, and lowered him down on a bed. So there the man is, lower down on a bed in front of our Lord. He is motionless, unable to move. It's quite obvious what the man needed. You knew what Jesus was going to do. After all, he had just cleansed a leper, healed Peter's mother-in-law, cast out demons, and done many other great and marvelous miracles. He was going to take one look at the man and said, pick up your bed, and walk. It's obvious to you, obvious to those around you. But then our Lord has some words that shock everyone there. He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I think you missed something, Jesus. Didn't you notice what this man's most pressing need was? After all, he couldn't walk. He couldn't earn a living. He was lying there helpless on a bed. Aren't you going to take care of that man's most pressing need? What happened when our Lord says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven? Absolutely nothing. The man still laid there, motionless on the bed, unable to move. But our Lord didn't miss a thing. He looked past the man's inability to move. He peered into his soul and saw exactly what he needed, forgiveness of his sins. So he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. It is in this scene that we're reminded of two truths. The first is that if our Lord had stopped there and only forgiven the man's sins, the man would have had the greatest gift of all. His soul had been cleansed. He had been made at peace with God. 
We are to reflect on that and to know that even if our physical maladies are not taken away and we're not healed, if only we have the forgiveness through Christ, we have all that we need in our lives and we have the greatest gift of all. Second, the second reflection is that we are to be reminded that we are in fact sinners and that is our most pressing need in our lives. Whether that our troubles are coworkers doubting whether or not God would provide for our daily bread or any of those other things, those all stem from that one fact that we are sinners in the midst of a sinful world, that we need Christ forgiveness. We look no further than the Ten Commandments to be reminded of this fact that we are sinners. God has given himself to us as our God, but we do not fear love and trust in him above all things. We put that fear, love, and trust in any number of other things. He has given to us his name, that we may call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. But when times are good, we all but forget about God. And when times are bad, we too distance ourselves from our God. He gives to us his word in his day that we may have a day of rest, a day of Sabbath. But we neglect his word often. We fail to come to his house to receive the gifts that he so freely gives. The list could go on and on. Those are but just the first three commandments. So through these, we are reminded of the fact that our most pressing need is that forgiveness. We might not always know that fact or feel it, but our Lord does. He comes to us while we are laying there on the bed, paralyzed, unable to help ourselves, unable to give ourselves that forgiveness, and he comes and delivers us. He came, took on human flesh, and he walked among man. He did not walk and go home as a paralyzed man in our text did, but rather he walked with bloody knees, beaten, spit upon, and he'd carried that cross. And upon that, he was nailed for your forgiveness. And then his lifeless body was laid on a bed, a bed of stone in an empty tomb, not in a packed house like the paralyzed man. And three days later, that bed was empty, for he was raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and is there that he says to us, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. What a wonderful gift that is for us. That our Lord saw our most pressing need and answered it through his cross. But our text didn't end there with the forgiveness. It got even better. So let's return into that text. The Lord had just forgiven the man's sins, but then there were those scribes and other people in the house that began to grumble. 
say that our Lord was blaspheming, for it was only God that could forgive sins. They must have been thinking to themselves, who does this man think he is? God? If only they knew. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? It clearly would have been easier for our, say to, for our Lord to say, Your sins are forgiven, because who could argue with him? The man whose sins were forgiven didn't get up and walk. There is no evidence of that forgiveness. He could have gone around and said, your sins are forgiven, and no one would know if he was lying. But if he said, rise and walk, and the man did not rise and walk, it will be evident that our Lord was a fraud. So he looks at the scribes, and he says, you want some proof that, my, that I have authority to forgive sins? You want proof that the Son of Man has this authority? Fine, I'll say Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man rises and goes home. Here we see that our Lord not only has power to forgive sins, but he has power over creation itself. Over creation that is laden with sin all about. He has that authority to say, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This meditation would be great on its own, but it doesn't end there either. When the crowd saw it, that is, when they saw the man rise and go home, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Men, plural. It turns out that this authority that Christ has to forgive sins does not rest on him alone, but rather he gives that authority to us, to you. Martin Luther, in his sermon, one of his sermons on this text, has this to say regarding this last verse. And it is indeed a great power that one Christian may say to another, my brother, be of good cheer. You have a gracious God. Only believe the assurance which I give you in Christ's name, and it is as certain as if God himself had said to you, Thy sins are forgiven thee. What a joy and comfort it is that our Lord has given to you the authority to forgive the sins of those committed against you. What a joy and comfort it is that our Lord has placed men into the office of holy ministry to stand before you, to hear your confession, whether corporately on Sunday or individually on Thursday. And upon hearing your confession, pronounce those sweet words of absolution to you. He may say, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven thee. How quickly we doubt that forgiveness and forget about that forgiveness that we have in Christ and how quickly we sin as well. Precisely why in the divine service we receive forgiveness multiple times. Here just a few moments ago, we confessed our sins of thought, word, and deed from the mouth of, from pastor as from God himself. 
we were absolved. But it doesn't end there. It gets even better. 30 to 45 minutes after that, we come to this altar and receive that very same forgiveness through Christ's very own body and blood. How gracious our God is to see our most pressing need and give to us that gift abundantly and often. What a joy and comfort that is indeed. He says to us, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. To Abraham, who doubted God's promise of the birth of Isaac, he said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. To David, who committed adultery, lied to cover it up, and even had a man killed, he said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. To the prodigal son in the parable, who squandered his father's inheritance, deserted his father, but returned back in repentance. The father joyfully said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. To you, to your souls that are troubled by sins that you have committed, sins that you know about and sins that you don't even know about at all. Our Lord says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. May that comfort of the forgiveness that you have through Christ's cross cleanse your heart and your mind. But it doesn't end there. It gets even better. Our bodies are still stricken with sin. Our bodies are sick and suffering. But it will get better. For on the last day, the Lord will raise us to new life. He will cleanse our bodies, make them new, and we will be with him for all eternity. I'll let the words of our closing hymn have the final words here. Tis he forgives thy sins, tis he relieves thy pain, tis he that heals thy sickness and makes thee young again. He crowns thy life with love when ransomed from the grave. He that redeemed my soul from hell hath sovereign power to save. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.